0: Good morning everyone. If I have not met you, my name's Jeff Kerr. My wife Christy and I are the pastors here. I'd love to meet you after the service if we haven't. Stephen, you mentioned the youth hold the trophy for scripture memory, right? Pretty sure that's Kerrigan Merricks who like carried your team. And uh, so adults, we're gonna we're gonna show these kids that we too can memorize important information. We've forgotten all of our passwords and other login information and children's names, so we can we got room in there for some scripture. Um, we are going to be in part three of our series looking through the, uh, the books of First and Second Kings. Today we're going to be in First Kings chapter 18, um, pretty close to the story we talked about last week. So just a little recap, um, just to bring you up to speed with what's, what's been going on in this series. Week one, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how our faith should stand out. And one of the things I observed for Christ followers through a difficult year like 2020... Um, I considered that a lot of missed opportunities for the believers in Jesus to stand out in our fearful, kind of dark, argumentative world. That was a great opportunity for the Christ followers to stand out and be examples of light and hope and kindness and peace. And I think there was a lot of times where we missed that opportunity. Our faith should shine. Uh, week two, we talk, told the story of King Ahab, who was an evil, idol-worshiping king, but yet God delivered a mighty victory to him and the Israelites but he still had a step, an important step for King Ahab to take. And that important step was he had to go out and start the battle, showing his trust and his faith in God. So the lesson there as we come through a tough year into a new year is God has a step for you to take, a faith step, a step of obedience. And today we're heading into, uh, again, talking about heading into a new year after a long season. Um, here's the main idea of what we're talking about today. And this is good news. It's Sunday. You're going uh, to love applying this lesson this afternoon. Yes. It's important for us to find rest. After a long season, oh yeah, finally, preacher's preaching something close to my heart. Um, Some of you watching online, you're already like half laid down on the pillows with the iPad sideways like my kids do homework and listen to their teachers. Um, most of us have been living through the last year, some of us longer than that, some of us maybe not quite that long, but 2020 was a year just underlying stress for a number of reasons. There was the whole, we had a global pandemic, there was that, there was a lot of, everything was an argument. It was one giant argument. I might be overstating, but I'm not. Um, a lot of stress, and we had this underlying, you know, fears of the virus, loved ones getting sick. Some of us, maybe you have had someone get really sick, hospitalized, even lost a loved one. Social unrest through our nation, political arguments. Um, It's funny that, uh, you know, we had an inauguration this week, and so half the room probably is thinking, yes, finally, things are moving up. And the other half is thinking, oh man, we're really going downhill. So hopefully the arguments will subside, but I've learned enough in this country to know that's not going to happen. So anyways, we've had an underlying stress, and it's important for us, and we're going to look in the book of 1 Kings um, chapter 18 and 19, a story of a great man of faith, and you have heard of this man, um, who had a great spiritual victory. God was with him. God provided for him. God performed miracles for him. But yet immediately that was followed by a season of burnout. This guy, this great man of faith. We love to think that if you're a Christian and you love God and you're doing all the God things, you never have to worry about burning out, getting tired, getting depleted, getting anxious or depressed. That's not the case because the man we're talking about is Elijah in the Old Testament, First Kings 18. Great victory followed by a season of burnout and how he was replenished, how he recovered from that. So the story of Elijah in chapter 18 of First Kings Elijah is the prophet in Israel. Now, the king we talked about last week, King Ahab, he was an evil king. Even though God was still working through Israel under King Ahab, he was an evil king. His wife, anyone know his wife's name? Jezebel. Is a re- Jezebel is the reason not a lot of kids are named Jezebel these days. It's kind of like Jezebel is a name, and it's also like a verb. It's like that's a Jezebel, not a verb. A, a, it's like a Jezebel spirit, an adjective, you know. that's why you... Unless there's someone in here named Jezebel, and I feel badly if that's the case, or watching online. Um, Ahab and Jezebel, evil king, evil wife, uh, really propagating idolatry throughout Israel. A lot of the wickedness comes from them. And so as a result in this, right before we pick up the story in, in chapter 18 today... In chapter 17, God tells Elijah the prophet to pronounce a great drought. There's going to be a drought and a famine in Israel. As a result of this wickedness, God goes to Elijah and says, okay, tell the king, tell the people, because of your wickedness, there's going to be a famine, and it's going to be a long one. And it goes for three years. So it starts with three years of underlying stress in the nation. And Elijah, because he was the one who proclaimed the drought, he was really blamed. Ahab started blaming Elijah he probably felt a lot like, I was thinking of this this morning, he probably felt like Dr. Fauci. Whenever he would get on the news and talk about the virus and people are blaming Dr. Fauci, I imagine there's times where he's just like, I'm just telling you what I'm, what I'm being told. It's not, I didn't create the virus. That's probably what Elijah was feeling. Like, I didn't cause it to not rain for three years. I didn't, this is God's doing. I'm just telling him what God is doing. So as a result, there's all of this going on. And finally, in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah confronts King Ahab. Ahab's been searching for him, hunting him down, trying to find him and kill him. And uh, this is where we pick up the story in chapter 18. Now, it goes to, uh, Elijah comes to King Ahab, says, okay, we're going to have a showdown. We're going to finally settle this. God says, we're going to finally decide who, or discover who's the real God. You guys are all worshiping the idol Baal, the false god Baal. And so we're going to find out, is Baal The real God or is the God of Israel the one true God and so they have they set up for this showdown and there's this verse in 18 verse 21 that I want to start with today and this is right before they have this showdown between the gods and uh, Elijah finally has made himself known to the people and he says to them in verse 21 Elijah went before the people and said how long will you waver between two opinions if the Lord is God follow him But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So it goes into the showdown. But I love that Elijah just starts right out telling the plain truth. How long are you going to flip-flop between worshiping gods? How long? Pick one. If Baal is so great, worship him. But you're trying to mix all these gods together and, and you're just watering down your faith and you can't commit and you can't decide. Quit wavering and find a god and worship him. And so there's this showdown that happens, and they set up the showdown. And if you've read this story, you're familiar with this. This is, they say, okay, prophets of Baal, and there's like 450 of them. You get an oxen, you sacrifice it, and put it on an altar, and then I'm going to get an oxen, sacrifice it, put it on an altar, and then we're going to pray to our gods, and the God who shows up in fire and like consumes the sacrifice with fire, that's how we know is going to be the real God. So the prophets of Baal start in, and they're doing all their praying and worshipping and trying to appease their god and pleading with the god Baal to come down and do it and they're even doing all the like cutting themselves and all the self like self mutilation things trying to get the attention of their god and nothing happens and it leads to what I consider One of the sadder verses in the Bible, verse 29, this is what it says. After the prophets of Baal had been trying to plead to their God for hours and hours, it says this in verse 29. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. So they did all day. They were praying to the God of Baal. And here's what's so sad. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And as the God a follower of the true God, the one true God, we read that and we're like, well, yeah, we know that Baal's a false God. But what's sad about that is this. I thought about those people. How tragic to live your whole life trying to appease a God, living for something that when push came to shove and you needed some help, there was nobody there. Nobody answered. There was nobody home. I imagine those moments, even another trash-talking moment, if you read this, it's pretty funny. Elijah just starts like trash-talking them and egging them on a bit. Well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe Shout louder. Maybe he, maybe he had to go out, you know. Maybe he just can't hear you. Speak up a little bit. Um, but then Elijah, in verse 36, takes his turn, and he prays a great prayer. In verse 36, it says this. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil. So God delivered. Elijah prayed, the fire came down, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the altar, consumed all the water that they had poured over the altar just to make sure it wasn't an accident. And God came through a great story, a great victory. But that's not really, I mean, and that's a great story. We could do a whole sermon on that story right there. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about what happens right after this. Great victory. Great moment of faith. God has come through for Israel And how many of you have ever experienced a moment like that, that right after a significant event, it might be a long, prolonged season of like an adrenaline rush, just hectic schedule, busy, 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 and finally you just get to the point where you're like, you finally slow down and you crash. But there's oftentimes where it's a big spiritual moment where God does something significant in your heart, and then whether it's a plan of the enemy or just fatigue or whatever it is, you just like burn out. You have that moment that, that dip and everything's just like oh this is hard you would think that elijah would be like riding high look at what god did and the rains came and the drought is over and the famine's over and everyone knows that my god is the one true god and what happens is he has a burnout this wasn't just about Baal, this was about three years of long season of drought three years of watching people worship idols just an underlying stress that eventually caught up with elijah And he burned out. So here's where we pick up the story again in chapter 19, and I'm going to read 1 through 8. This is Elijah's kind of burnout moment. Now Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, his wife, everything that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. That's the end of the story for the prophets of Baal. They got killed by the sword, and we skipped that part. Um, So Jezebel said to Messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough. Lord, he said, Take my life. I am no better than any of my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. So I'm going to stop there. Look at all the things that Elijah felt after this great spiritual moment. And maybe you've experienced some of these. Now, it might not be like the practical, you know, God consumed the false idols at work with fire. But maybe, you know, had something like that. But maybe you can relate to some of these things that he felt. Look at it again, he, he ran away, he was fearful for his life, he isolated himself, he went off by himself, he prayed to God, it's hopeless, it's hopeless God, I've had enough, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors, I, the words that jump out to me is, I've had enough, I can't do it anymore God, maybe you've been in that season of whatever battle you've been fighting, I've had enough God, I feel like the prophets of Baal praying and crying out to you and there's nothing happening, I have had enough he isolated he went by himself he became despondent it's hopeless i imagine there was moments of god i've been faithful to you after all that i've done look at what you're doing how can i feel this way how can they still be hunting me down and trying to take my life now i want us to look at how god brought through elijah or how god brought elijah through this season and find some ways that we can all find a way to get through a really stressful season of 2020 and head into the new year with kind of a renewed feeling of rest and rejuvenation. Okay, does that sound good? All right. So first of all, I love this. What did the angel say to Elijah? When Elijah, first of all, Elijah came, fell asleep, the angel woke up Elijah. What's the first thing that the angel said? You would think that the angel would say, come on, Elijah, you can do it. Where's your faith? Come on, Elijah, you've seen God do it or how can you question God, Elijah? Or don't worry, Elijah, I'm going to go get Jezebel right now. We're going to take care of this for you. I love that the angel just says, hey, you might need to have something to eat. Have you ever been that way? I won't, I won't go into too many details. I'll just say this way. Husbands, have you ever been at home and you've maybe been getting argued with and you're thinking, maybe we just need to have a snack or something? There's times where I feel completely down and someone will come to me, sometimes it's Christy and be like, have you had any food? We do that. We understand this with toddlers, right? Toddlers throwing a temper tantrum. What do we think? If you're around a young mom whose toddler is throwing a temper tantrum, usually what do they say? It's like, oh, they haven't napped today. Oh, they're really hungry today. We understand that with toddlers, but somehow when we get grown up, we don't think that we need actual food and rest to behave like normal people. I love that the angel comes to Elijah and essentially just gives Elijah a Snickers bar and just says, you are not acting like yourself. Have a Snickers bar. Let's do and then, so the angel says, have something to eat. Have something to eat. And then Elijah, after sleeping once, falls back to sleep again. And then the angel wakes up again and says, have something else to eat. Okay? And then it becomes nighttime, and he sleeps again. I've been in times where I've been kind of burned out. I'm, this is not oversimplifying it. Sleep and taking care of yourself physically, resting, nutrition, exercise, all of these things, it just does wonders. God created us to need that. And so I love that the first thing that the angel does is very practical. Maybe you need something to eat. Uh, maybe you need to have a little nap. So the practical application today for everyone watching online and here, this is going to be great. The most spiritual thing maybe you can do today is eat something and then take a nap. Amen. This is, this is good preaching right here. We got football on. I've, more and more as I get older, football, NFL on TV is just great napping material. It's like, oh, this is so good. Especially without the fans, and they just put that dull kind of background noise in there. It's just like a noisemaker. It just puts me out. Not to mention there's not a ton of, ex- well, when you're watching the Vikings, anyways, not a ton of excitement to keep you awake. I love that it's very practical. There's so much value in physical care. Some of you just need to recognize this. Coming through a long, stressful season, you got to turn the adrenaline down, allow your body a time to rest. And it might take a while. I know that after running through a season with high adrenaline for a long time and, and tension and conflict and all these things, it's not one nap sometimes doesn't do it. You might need a vacation. There's times where I've gone on a vacation after a long, busy season and Seven days we have to come home and what do you think? You're like, oh, I feel like I'm finally able to start relaxing, like I need another follow-up vacation. There is so much value in allowing your body to recover. We must rest. One of the big things we as Christians love to point out how people are being disobedient in their faith, but we often overlook the very simple command to take a Sabbath rest. This is not God being legalistic or controlling. This is... God understands we need a day and we need one every week where we rest. This is for our benefit. So this might be something, that might be the takeaway today is you have been, it's been a long time since you have had a day where you allow yourself to rest. So it might be more than just a nap. It might be a rest from the noise of the world. Some of you, the best thing you can do for your health is to shut off all the news and media and Facebook. And then again, eat something and take a nap. This sounds like a great Sunday afternoon. When you are in that moment of adrenaline, you're going to be like Elijah where everything's going to feel a lot worse than maybe it was. Now, he did have you know, the, the queen of the land trying to kill him, so that's not nothing. Um, I've never had the queen trying to kill me in all my days growing up in Canada. Um, but there's so often that we, everything feels worse than maybe what it is. Have you ever been that? Where I had this a couple months ago, I was like really stressed out about something and in my head I'm like, I know this is not a big deal, but everything in me is like feeling like this is a big deal. Don't read too much into the circumstances that seem overwhelming when you are physically depleted. So that's the first one. Just physically, God had Elijah take care of himself, find a season of rest. So that might be your takeaway today. Physically, we need to rest. Second, let's look at verse 19 or at verse 9 of chapter 19. It says this there he spent the night in the cave uh, there he went into the cave and spent the night and the word of the lord came to him what are you doing elijah and he replied again elijah goes into his pity party again i've been very zealous for the lord god almighty and the israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword and i'm the only one left and they are now trying to kill me too and the lord said go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the lord for the lord is about to pass by And maybe you're familiar with this story. Then a great, powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And Elijah heard it and pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice came and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So then Elijah goes on again to tell the Lord all the things. I'm all by myself. I'm alone. There's no one else who's devoted to you. Every other prophet's been killed or they've deserted their faith and all these bad things. But here's the point of the verses that I just read. When you're coming through a season of stress and burnout, you have to take some time to be with God. You have to take some time to be in the presence of God. Now, this might not be, and I love this story, it might not be a big hype, emotional, like large gathering, like God in the earthquake or in the fire or in the mighty wind. It might be quiet, alone, silent, You and God and the gentle whisper of the presence of God coming and just speaking life to you. You have to find times to be in the presence of God. Because the God of the universe is the God who created you. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, he knows what you need. He knows what you need before you do. He knows what you need before you've asked it. If your body is depleted and worn out, he made you. He knows how to speak wisdom and encouragement into you. He knows how to guide you into a season of replenishment and rest. And also when you're with God, you understand, okay, I've been carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. God's way more capable of doing this. I just I feel this way for a lot of people who've just been carrying, whether it's stress because of the virus or politics. You've been carrying the political argument stress, the, the, the future of your nation on your shoulder thinking, well, if I just post enough things and argue with enough people and convince enough people, well, then things are going to get better. You can't carry that weight on your shoulders. You can't carry the weight of your family's health on your shoulders. You are not responsible for all of these things. Time with God allows you to say, God, You are, your shoulders are way more capable to carry all of these cares and you can allow yourself to rest knowing that the God of the universe is caring for you, is taking care of these things. This is time spent with God where you can cast your cares, you can stop carrying the weight of the world and the stress of the world, spend some time in prayer, Bible reading, scripture memory, yes, Yes. solitude and silence. Now, God wired us all differently. For some of you, sitting in a room quietly is like the worst thing imaginable. And others, it's like I would pay money to sit in a room by myself for a long time. For, for me, it's being outdoors. It's being in nature. It's um, being inspired by different activities or certain things like that. Like I experience God that way. For others, it's very different. But we got to find time to be with God. First point was just physical care. Second point, spiritual, be t- uh, have, have time with God. Which brings us to the final point today. Right after God speaks to Elijah in the gentle whisper, God instructs Elijah to move forward. God gives instruction and wisdom. He says, so God says to Elijah, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go here. This is going to happen. You're going to find this person. You're going to appoint this other person king over the land because Ahab's about to go out. Um, all of these things. And God reassures him something very important. At the end of these instructions, he says this in verse 18. This is what God says. Yet... I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So in other words, God is telling Elijah, there's 7,000 people still in Israel who have never worshiped Baal. Why is that important to Elijah? Because of all the times he had said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only prophet. I'm the only one. Have you ever been in a moment where you're going through something difficult and you're like, I am the only one who's going through this? Nobody else understands. Nobody can relate. I can't talk to anybody about this. There is something about isolation and feeling like you are alone that is devastating. You know, the virus has had many different very negative consequences. One of them near the top of the list is just what isolation has done to people, right? Just feeling like I am alone. Just actually being in a room alone for long periods of time. What is so encouraging to Elijah When God says, there's 7,000 that have never bowed down to Baal. Why is that encouraging? Because God is telling Elijah, you're not alone. You are a part of a community of people that are like-minded, have like faith. You can be a part of a community of people and not feel like you're alone, but feel like you are being rallied around by a group of people and encouraged. This is so encouraging to Elijah. It's not just him. He is not alone. God reassures him there is a community of people who are with him so to recover from a season of stress and burnout you have to be in community with some people and that's hard in this day and age because that is so limited there's so many things that we can't gather we can't go out to eat all of these things it makes it difficult but you have to find a way to be in community being alone being isolated especially when you're going through a struggle that's a soul crusher when you feel like you're alone anyone been there i've been there you think i'm the only one You need to be around people and you can look around and say, no, there are other people who are in this with me. If you're struggling in your faith, you can look around the room right now and you're like, I'm a part of a community of people that are going to rally around me and encourage me. So to recover in 2021, do not isolate. Probably the worst thing that Elijah did was it says earlier on, he went off by himself. He left everybody and he was by himself for a long time. Don't isolate if you're having a hard time. Don't isolate if you're having a struggle. The lie that the enemy of your soul wants you to believe is that is this. You can't let anybody know what's going on. You can't let anybody know what struggle it is. You can't go to church and tell anybody there because they're church people. They're Christians. They're going to reject you. Don't, don't tell anybody that you're struggling with this or that or that you're wondering about this. Or You can't let other people in. These are all lies that the enemy is going to try to tell you and convince you so that you will isolate. Because then when you're isolated, he can get you easier. But when you're a part of a community of people that are encouraging you on and spurring on your faith, then your faith grows. You're like, yeah, I'm not in this by myself. Does that make sense? Being in a community is healing. Being a part of a group of people supporting one another could be the very thing that just lifts your countenance in this new year. Being a part of a community of people affects you in every area of your life, emotionally, physically, spiritually. This is why, and I'm going to talk about this. You now, if you're watching online today, um, I'm not like saying anything bad about watching online online church is something we have to do certainly this year churches all over last march when we all of a sudden went online before we went before we had the pandemic we were pretty low budget in our live stream it was my cell phone leaning up against the balcony of our old building and facebook live and go and don't know anybody bump that cell phone that's the live stream right there all of a sudden march 22nd last year kind came and churches got shut down and we're like we gotta we gotta up our game so church is everywhere. We're frantically trying to get church online to look and sound good. And I know even today we've had people commenting, it's super quiet. This mic's super quiet. <laughs> it's just a joke. Um, it's, there's like all this technology that needs to happen. We're doing what we can to make an online experience great. Here's why I'm bringing this all up. Online is good in a pandemic, and sometimes it's good for your schedule. Online is not church. Online is not a suitable substitute for church. We are not going to be one of the churches that pours a ton of time to get a big online congregation. Now, I know that makes me sound like the old person who's anti-technology and kids and their rap music and hashtags and all of those things. But here's what I'm saying. We're going to have, we're going to have an ability to watch our services online, but that's not church Church is being a part of a community. And you can only do that so much watching on a screen. You need to be a part of a community. Church is rallying around each other, realizing, looking around the room and saying, I'm not alone. You're watching online today, you're not alone. You're a part of our community, and we're glad that you are here with us. You're not alone. Um, we need to make sure that we are a part of a community. Community is, it's, I've said this before, it's why we put Homestead Community Church, in community in the name. Not just to make it the worst, longest email address to type out ever, but because that is a priority. We are not an institution. We're not a show that you're going to come and watch. You're not something that you can stream online and feel like, hey, that was entertaining. It is a community of people that come together and say, how can we serve? How can we help? How can we grow together? This is why we do this. So church must never send a message. Here's what I want us to get today. We never want to send the message, it's just something you observe. You can It doesn't matter, you just come and check it off the box. But another thing that we must never send the message is this. We must never, as the Christ followers, send a message to anybody that says, you're not welcome here. Because part of a community means, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what mistakes you've made, what your lifestyle has led you to do in the past... At no point can we say to anybody, yeah, you know what? You just stay over there. You're not welcome here. This is a community of people which means you're welcome here. There's a spot at the table for you. If you're watching and you've never been to a church or it's been a long time you've been to a church because you got treated poorly by a church, that happens and I am sorry to hear that. This is a community of people. We can never send the message to anyone in our culture, anyone in our world that oh, you better just stay isolated. You're not welcome here because that is a soul crusher Come to the table, there's a spot. You're a part of our family. So 2021, as we move forward, and I'm gonna wrap up here in a couple of minutes, we gotta physically rest. Just take care of yourself. There's been times, last time I had a really difficult season where I just felt down. I said, well, I'm gonna do all the things. I bought a happy light. You know, the light that, you know, because it gets dark in Minnesota. And then I made sure I was exercising and I took more naps and I went to bed earlier and I drank more water and I ate well and I did all the things. I did all the things I could think of. I spent time in God's word. I was around people. I did things that elevated my mood and made me happy. And after a few weeks, I started feeling better. And so I thought, well, which one was it? Was it the exercise or the prayer or the happy light or what, which one was it? And I finally said, I don't care. <laughs> you know, whatever. It might have been a cocktail of all those things. We need to care for ourselves physically. Spiritually, we need to spend time with God. Spend time with God. And we need to be in a community. Find people around you that are life-giving. If it's not this group of people here, I encourage you... As we grow as a church, continue to get to know people. Bring them into your community. Uh, It might not be people in this room, but people in your life that you can be around, that you can open up and be honest with, that you can say, hey, I'm struggling, or that you can help others when they're struggling, that you can be real with, that you feel inspired by. You might have a group of people in your world that do everything but inspire you towards godliness. You might be around people all the time that are just down and negative and argumentative. You might want to find some substitutes for those people and find some people that are a family, that bring life to you. So as we wrap up, I have one final thought. We have those three things that God taught Elijah on how to get through a burnout season. But here's one final thought. And it starts with the story of Elijah that I read, that first verse that I read. Where God got in front of the people, Elijah got in front of the people and just said, quit wavering in your faith. Quit wavering. Make a decision. If God is God, worship him. Jump in. Make a decision and commit. If you don't want to do it, follow the gods of this world. But this whole like one foot in each camp, one foot doing what, you know, I call it like sprinkling a little Jesus on your life on Sundays and then, you know, going through the rest of your week doing whatever, worshiping the other God. Quit wavering and make a decision. I think for some people watching today or maybe in the room, the one thing that you could do in 2021 that would make the biggest difference in your life is to just finally commit to your faith in God. To finally say, I've been trying all these other things. Maybe you're like the prophets of Baal, and all through 2020, you were trying to find your hope and satisfaction and joy and happiness in all the cares of the world, in success or money or status or relationships or political winning of arguments or whatever it was where you were like, if I could just have this and this, and you're like those prophets of Baal that when your world was falling apart, you're looking for something to help you through it, and there was nobody there. And you realize all the things I'm putting my hope into, when it came time, when push came to shove, and I needed that God of this world to help me, there was no answer, there was nobody there. Quit wavering in your faith. I think today the biggest thing you could do is to just say, God, I am in. Start of the new year. I want this to be something that I jump in and trust you with my life. I want to turn to you when I need uh, strength and encouragement. I don't want to look to these other things. I want to follow you and get into your word and apply it to my life. I don't want anybody watching or here today thinking I'm going to put my faith in a false God that's just going to have nobody there, no response, no one to help. So here's what I want us to do today. I just want to take a time of commitment. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And we don't do this very often. And for some of you, this is the reason you don't like coming to church is because the preacher always does this at the end of the service and says, raise your hand if you want to do this. And we don't do this very often. But here's what I want to do today. I want us to have a moment of commitment. This might be the first time you've committed or maybe you got through 2020 and you realize I had my faith and my hope in all sorts of things whatever that looks like for you in your life today in a moment I'm just going to ask you to put up a hand if you're going to say I'm committing I'm committing I'm going to stop wavering in my faith and I'm committing to God in this new year and I'm going to grow it might be the very first time you've done that or maybe you just need a moment of recommitment there's Nothing magical about a hand going up, but there's something important about every once in a while us having that moment where physically we say, yes, I'm in. And so we're going to lift our hands today. So if that's you today, and you want to have that moment of recommitment, and you want to stop wavering in your faith, just put up your hand right now, and so I can know to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Now, you might be thinking in that moment, like, I hope I'm not the only one with my hand up. There's hands up all over it. This is just a a moment where there's many of us acknowledging, we need just that need recommitment to jump in. You can put your hands down. Let's pray. Now, if that's the first time you've ever, ever done that, it's just as simple as inviting Jesus in and saying, Jesus, I need your mercy. I need a Savior. I want to live for you. I receive your salvation. And the Bible says you're a son or a daughter of God in that moment. But I imagine for most of us, that's something we've done before. But today, it's just like a moment of, God, I just need to recommit. i got to stop wavering. So, Lord, I lift up those who have raised their hands today. And I put myself in that same boat of just someone that so easily gets distracted by the cares of the world, so easily finds ways to get discouraged by looking for hope elsewhere other than you. So, Lord, again, we repent of all of our time that we spend searching after false gods We repent of all the times that we have ignored a Sabbath and thinking that we can just run on adrenaline. We repent of all the times that we have stopped short of fully trusting you, and we just put our hands up and we say, God, I'm in. I recommit to you. You are God. You are the one true God. You are the Lord of my life. I want to follow after you. When you direct me to take steps of faith, I trust you. When I go through difficult seasons, I know you're there. I know that you're there in the gentle whisper, the presence of God reviving my soul. So, Lord, I commit to you. Lord, help us to walk that out this week. Help us to walk that out in our faith, in our relationships with others, in how we take care of ourselves, how we serve other people, how we trust you, how we spend time in prayer and the word. We want to grow in our faith. We thank you that not only are you with us, but we're a part of a community that we're going to do this together and grow together thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Homestead Church, for being here. If you would like someone to pray with you at the end of the service, we'll have some people up front who could pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Take some time to get to know some people. Be a part of this community. Have a wonderful week.